Welcome along to 98 Not Out. In this podcast, I'm talking to Ali Martin, the cricket writer for The Guardian. It's going to be a great chat. I'm really looking forward to this. Remember, if you like the content, make sure you subscribe, tell all your friends and spread the word. Let's get into it. Ali, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Darren. I'm uh, I'm a little bit nervous because I've seen that your previous guest was Stuart Broad, and this is a, a drop of about 566 Test wickets. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you tend to get the big names. You've got to put up with me this week. But yeah, good to see you, mate. Well, no, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Now, last time we had you uh, for a chat, you were in Adelaide uh, covering the last Ashes tour down under, which again was another unmitigated disaster for the England team but this one was particularly painful um, and it wasn't the worst it, it got even worse when England went off to the West Indies and you mentioned Stuart Broad there I mean that famous rant that he gave about him and Jimmy being excluded from that tour that was kind of like the low point but since then England's fortunes have, have turned around uh, to the point now where we're looking forward to 2023 and an Ashes series which everyone's excited about what's happened in the last 12 months well I mean I guess it comes down to I was about to say two men but probably three men I think I think the appointment of Rob Key as director of cricket has kind of breathed fresh life into the setup and then his subsequent appointments of Ben Stokes as captain I suppose that one was kind of inevitable once Joe Root had stepped down but um to have the kind of vision to bring in a coach like Brendan McCullum who bear in mind had never coached a first class game before he took on the England job um, obviously, huge experience captaining New Zealand and having turned that team around. Um, but you've got to take your hat off, really, to Rob Key to, for, for seeing the kind of abilities of, of McCullum and not just looking at the CV and actually seeing, you know, the man himself, the character uh, and the kind of style and, uh, and approach that he could bring in. And, and as you say, the results have been phenomenal, really. I mean, nine wins in, in 10, um, that incredible... Th- 3-0 clean, clean sweep in Pakistan. They'd only ever won two tests in Pakistan in their history before that to go there and win 3-0. You know, even factoring in a, a Pakistan side that probably had a few issues and was missing Shahin Shah Afridi. Um, you know, England were missing players as well for that series as also. So, um, yeah, it's just been a, an incredible turnaround and, and it, it really does show the value of, of leadership. Going back to Australia last year, um, and, and you 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 get you get to watch and witness all of these things up close as being part of the press pack. Mm. Did you sense what was it? Was there a sense of poor morale or just dissatisfaction in the England team back then? Um, well, I mean, they kind of held it together. I mean, we've seen previous Ashes tours, maybe sort of 13, 14, the whitewash at that time would probably be the the prime example where a squad has been at complete loggerheads by the end of it, retirements. Um, you know, huge animosity, Alistair Cook, Kevin Peterson. We don't have to go back into all that per se, but they did keep it together as a group. But clearly, I mean, they absolutely disintegrated on the field. It kind of, you know, was summed up right at the end with, with Ollie Robinson backing away. I, I can't remember who said it, but he was, you know, looked like he was on his way to the airport. Um, and he was <laughs> about two metres outside his leg stump and he got bowled uh, to wrap up the 4-0 win. Um, and it was interesting. It is interesting looking back, I must say, because at the time there was a kind of there was a bit of a dual diagnosis going on. People were talking about the kind of tactical errors and the selection errors that had been made along the way. 
Um, but there was also the kind of systemic issues that were being diagnosed that, you know, that England just weren't producing test caliber players. Joe Root was the only player since his own debut to average over 40 in test cricket with the bat. Um, and, and that, you know, that launched this high performance review into, into the domestic game. And I guess probably the lesson we've learned since is that um, probably, I mean, I think COVID was a big factor in England's demise. They, no, no team played more test cricket in the, during the sort of pandemic era. Um, and I do think that dragged them down significantly. But also we've seen the value of, of leadership, as I mentioned before, that, you know, to come in with a fresh style uh, and a fresh approach and, and maybe lean into some of the attacking instincts of the players that have been thrown up by the system, you know, the kind of the white ball generation that's come through rather than try and make them something they're not. Um, I think that and I think very much the inspiration of Ben Stokes as captain as well. I think maybe Joe Root had run his course. I remember Trevor Bayliss, the old England head coach, saying that, you know, five years was about as long as you can go in those kind of jobs because you, your voice starts to get stale and that's when you need fresh impetus. Um, and we can see that in the Valley of Stokes, certainly. And we talked to Broadie. He, one of the things that he's explained about the change in approach, which I thought was really interesting, was that um, everyone's been encouraged to act like they were young kids heading out on a Saturday morning and just whacking the ball around, no fear, no hang-ups. Um, and just play, playing with complete complete freedom and not being afraid to hit a ball back over long on for six or, you know, and if you get caught out and mid on trying to do the same, it's no big deal. It, 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 there seems to have been a conscious effort to just lift pressure from the player's shoulders. Absolutely. I mean, and that, and that probably, that comes down to, I mean, I suppose with Stokes, he, he's a, a captain whose kind of legacy or, or his position in the game is already secured through, you know, those twin peaks in 2019 of the World Cup final and Headingley. So in some ways he's got nothing to lose, but a lot of it does come back to McCullum. Um, and the kind of realisation that he had mid-career that uh, I think he, one of his, his sort of ethos is, is that there's no point getting to the end of your career and looking back and saying, wasn't it great? You've got to enjoy it in the moment. Um, and and you've got to go that out there and try and entertain. Ultimately, they're in the entertainment business. And if you take away the pressure of results and always for the mood of the camp being dictated by how the team's faring on the field, if you take that away and actually invest so much in the enjoyment factor, both on and off the field, trying to get guys, as you say, playing cricket like they're in the backyard with their brothers back in, brothers and sisters back in the day, to, to, to get that in and make the results secondary, that the results then take care of themselves. And um, uh, But even saying that, I mean, they must be hugely um, <laughs> thrilled with the fact of, of, of nine in 10, because that is that is a streak of results that, that look way beyond them this time last year. I think the pressure thing, um, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem with English sport or British sport overall, that, you know, there is so much media intensity around everything. But... Certainly, if you're England test captain, and this goes back a very long time, I mean, I'll use the example of 2014 and Alistair Cook, where the intense pressure that was on him was 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 evident. And you could see, you know, he was almost visibly fighting these battles, um, you know, with himself, with those around him, and with, you know, um, a press that was very keen to exploit the problems that he was having with, with, with Kevin Peterson. Um that just seems to have gone, and uh, you know, I was worried about Ben Stokes when he was made was made captain after the year prior to that. He'd had problems with mental health, but this almost seems to have been like the perfect cure for him. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the sort of, I mean, it really does. 
it's such a huge kind of um, plus that, that Ben Stokes is, you know, that he came through that personal sort of dark patch that he had. Um, and I think his honesty in that has been a key part of this as well. I, I think back to the summer um, when his documentary came out and he gave various interviews. Well, I, I was one of the people lucky enough to interview him at the time. And he was extremely open about how he'd come through the other side. And those kind of messages, I think, are really important. As I say, I think because Ben is a kind of a player who's, standing in the game has been assured and that he's coming with a coach and I, when you talk about media pressure that's interesting as well one of McCullum's one of the kind of things that he said he wanted to bring in when when he was appointed head coach last when was it April or May last year that uh, he wanted to relieve that pressure to cut out the noise now I you know as someone that you know is writing and reporting on the game yeah. myself I'm probably someone that's generating that noise <laughs> But um, but I have to say it, that probably feeds into the fact that he, you know, is a New Zealander. He comes from a country where, you know, the All Blacks and, and rugby is very much number one. And that probably he played his career without that level of scrutiny. If, if he can create that, I don't think they certainly don't want to create a siege mentality of us versus them. But if they are extremely happy in their own company uh, and are not dwelling too much on what's being said on the outside, then, yeah, I can certainly see a benefit to that. And um yeah, I think that again, that's another another thing that McCullum's brought in. Yeah, that's an old school thing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I've heard um, cricket writers and journalists um, say that they miss the old days of if you're on tour with England, the press and the players and the whole touring party would be sat in the bar in the evening, chatting and uh, you know relaxing together, and that was kind of sidelined a bit, or you had to there was you know the press were only allowed a certain amount of access, um, but it can only be a good thing if. Uh, that intermingling is brought back to whatever extent. Yeah, I think so. And, and also I should say that while, while they're kind of trying to cut out the noise and maybe not dwell too much on, on the analysis of their games by people, by pundits, et cetera, I think, I mean, I think certainly on the technical side of it, most of that analysis that, that can get into heads probably comes from TV broadcasters more than, more than some of the written journalists. But that's not to say that, you know, it, it, it can have an impact from wherever it's coming from. Um, but equally, they've, they've not put the shutters up. They're still a pretty open team. You see them around the traps, access to training, still pretty good. Um, and in their interactions, I mean, it obviously helps when you're doing well as a team, but they're, they're pretty buoyant as well. I, I, I sort of go back to the first day in Rao Pindi when England, you know, what are they, they stuck for 500 on the board. If they played the full day, it could have been 600. We had Zach Crawley and Ben Duckett come out for the, you know, press conference, Ben Duckett making his return, Zach Crawley with a really important 100 for his career after a tricky summer. And they spoke with such openness. You could see the clear happiness in, in the way they were going about their cricket. Uh, and also that Zach made the point that, you know, that people were asking about England's new approach. And he, he made the very blunt and very truthful point that what they were doing previously wasn't working. So, you know, to, to try and rip it up and start again, it is bold to do that. Um, but in the some in some ways, it actually helps that they hit rock bottom. It's given them a license to try something completely new, uh, and so far so good. But uh, you know, the big acid test probably comes this summer against Australia's pace attack, and then looking a little bit further ahead, uh, there's five tests in India uh, this that start this time next year, which is obviously going to be a huge challenge. Do you think someone like Australia um, will look at baseball? And think right, we're going to have a go at that. And when they come here this summer, they will take a similar approach. Um, I, I don't think so, just because they've had so much success at home. Obviously, they just won five straight tests at home, playing the way they do, and they've built that on pretty solid foundations. I don't necessarily think there's, you know, there's only one way to play the game now, just because England are playing this way. 
Um, and I also think that going back to what I was saying about hitting rock bottom, England are able to do this because really they couldn't get any worse. So, you know, in Australia on a decent run, they're heading, heading into that World Test Championship final just before the Ashes as well. Um, we'd expect, I think they're right on the cusp of qualification for that anyway. Um, so, you know, they've got, they've got a big challenge coming to England. They want to try and win that trophy. They want to try and win their first Ashes series in England since 2001. I can't see a huge handbrake turn on their approach at the moment. Having said that, you know, they've clearly got, uh, there's quality throughout that team, isn't there? Right, right from the top, right through to, uh, through to that bowling attack. I can't wait. I really can't. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Turning focus uh, to domestic cricket, and you mentioned about the uh, fabled Andrew Strauss high-performance review, which has been the subject of months and months of speculation and conjecture, et cetera, et cetera. You've written an excellent article in The Guardian this week about um, McCullum and Stokes sharing their ideas and um, their ethos with county coaches. And I'm wondering if that simple gesture will do more to invigorate county cricket than any kind of big, huge report and multi-page document could ever do. Yeah, yeah, it could do. It could do. I, I, you're right. I think it probably is quite an important to open up the sort of channels of communication. I'm not saying they were completely dead before. The, you know, there was a kind of England through England, ECB, the Lions, the Pathway, the Under-19s. Uh, the, these summits with directors of cricket, they're not, you know, out of, it's not out of the ordinary to be doing this. But I think to have the England test coach and test captain uh, addressing all the coaches in the country and, uh, explaining their philosophies, explaining some of the things that they that they found have worked with the England team, which I think is probably, I don't know, to, to, they want players to soak up pressure when they're required to put it back on opponents at the early op, op, earliest opportunity, um, to really focus on taking wickets in the field, not to care about the run rate too much, um, to really focus on solely on the win, not to think about the draw, not to sort of look at, not to approach multi-day cricket as, Let's try and ensure that we can't lose and then try and win from there. I think England are trying to win from the outset. Um, I, you know, these are the kind of the tenets of what they've been doing and they're, they're just feeding some of that down, hopefully. I, I don't, I think it's, we probably don't want to get too confused here. They're not saying they want every, all 18 first-class counties to go out there and try and whack it. In fact, they're not even telling their own players to go out there and whack it. Now, the numbers are incredible. England, since since the two came together, England have average, uh, they've gone up, 4.7 and over in test cricket. <laughs> they were going at 5.5 in Pakistan. But that's a byproduct of them, uh, of what they're saying. They're not telling guys to strive for six and over. They're not trying to push the limits in that way. What they're trying to do is to, as we said, release that pressure on players, um, try and take the emphasis off the result, albeit always be striving to win the game um, and to tr try and demystify the run chasers a bit. Um, you know, the, the, the fourth innings pressure isn't necessarily there, that it can be flipped back onto the bowling side on that, on that uh, you know, fourth or fifth day. And yeah, so it's a combination of that. They're not, they're not telling uh, teams to do it. Um, they accept that with all sorts of conditions and pitches and that different teams will have different squads and different resources. They'll set up in different ways. Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, some counties, you know, play on extremely nibbling pitches, et cetera. Others, you know, will play on the harder, flatter ones. I think they'd like a bit more uniformity there. I think they'd like to see the conditions probably, you know, favour batsmen a little bit more, make bowlers work a bit hard, harder for their wickets. Um, but equally, they, they want, 
you know they they want to they want teams to get creative in the in the way they try and set up victories. Um, whether that works, you know, I think I should say. I mean, I, I don't, obviously wasn't in that meeting, um, but I've spoken to people that were in it. I, I do know that um, within that meeting, that McCullum was keen to stress that he he did understand that the the the, the directors of cricket and, and county coaches are working in different environments. You know, a fourteen game first class season is very different to a five match, three match, five match test series, etc. And um, that there will be huge differences there, um, but. You know, it gives county directors of cricket and coaches an idea of the players that England are looking for. Um, and I, I tell you one thing, I go back to, I mean, I think one of the key things here is probably if you look at the way the white ball team set up. Now, England created a, you know, a really impressive team sort of 2015 onwards. But what they're able to do is filter down a lot of that messaging into the counties. Now, in 2021, when the entire squad was wiped out by a sort of outbreak of COVID, in came a completely fresh squad that those players all knew what was what was being asked of them, what was what what England wanted from them. Um, you know, and they swept Pakistan 3-0, playing exactly the same way, even without Owen Morgan there leading them, and even without, you know, Butler, uh, Bairstow, Roy, etc., you know, through that batting lineup. So I think I think they're just they're just trying to get a little bit more alignment with the counties. Um, and, you know, ideally sort of grow that pool of players who, who are able to play in the way that, that England are hoping to play at the moment. And again, it just kind of, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, they've done what um, I think the High Performance Review has just failed to do. I think that they've come to, they've looked at the telescope through the wrong end uh, from that point. Mm. That's my view. But um, I think um, certainly McCullum and Stokes have just understood what's going on and that what the public are wanting, you know, we, we've, all of us that, you know, follow cricket and love cricket know that county cricket has been under threat for quite a while now just from a financial point of view and a, just an existential point of view um and and supplying players for the for the national team um i do wonder though that it seems to me that there's a, a revolution going on in red bull cricket in the way it's played now and that they've looked at what is successful what does uh fill the stadiums i.e t20 i won't bring the 100 into this because it's not been around long enough but certainly t20 is what puts bums on seats um mm. and while Red Bull is never going to be exactly the same as that. But I think fans want to be excited. And as you said earlier, they want to be entertained. Um, it just makes me wonder whether some of the traditionalists and the traditional county members will will take this on board when they start seeing their counties playing maybe in a more aggressive style. Yeah, it will be interesting. As I say, I, I wouldn't expect all 18 to do that. Um, I think I think that different different coaches will have different approaches, as I say, different resources in their sides. Um, but it's it's quite an interesting trade-off that you know um, we kind of find it with with England is that is it about results? Is it about entertainment? I think essentially Stokes and McCullum are trying to emphasise more on entertainment, and in doing so, they probably buy themselves a bit more license for the odd one to go wrong, um, like we saw against South Africa at Lords in the summer. Um, and and so that 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 is the trade-off. Now you know in a in a, a two two division structure that we've got, you'll have teams fighting relegation, you'll have teams pushing for promotion, and, and you'll have probably you know uh, bottom feeders that that, will, that that may struggle. And whether those memberships are you know whether they're happy for that to continue just because the team's playing entertaining cricket, I don't necessarily think that would be the case. Nevertheless, teams could buy themselves a bit if if members are really enjoying what they're seeing when they turn up at the grounds. Mm, exactly. Well, it's a great article, and I shall put the link uh, in the description to this uh, podcast. Um, what's next for you, Ali? You, you off travelling 
Um, then if uh, you yeah, well, we, I mean, it's we're going to um, we're, we're going to, to Baz's house essentially, which is you know back to New Zealand for this two test tour. Um, I'm heading off at the start of uh, the start of next month. There's a, there's a warm up game in Hamilton, then a day night first test in Mount Monganui. Um, which will be interesting. I'm not personally not a massive fan of day night cricket, only because it ruins the, yeah. uh, the evening social. But um, and then off to Wellington and the Basin Reserve, which I've not been to, and I kind of you know that's probably one of the probably the spiritual home of New Zealand cricket as well. So that that's going to be a, a fascinating tour. Um, you know, the England squad is interesting. A bit slightly gutted that Mark Wood isn't on the on the tour, but understand his reasons. He's he's taking a break. He obviously had a heavy winter with that World T20, uh, sorry, T20 World Cup campaign and then obviously bowling his heart out in Pakistan as well. Um, and uh, it's, we're not quite ready for Jofra Archer to return yet as well. But I think, you know, seeing England play New Zealand, it, as I say, in the home of McCullum, um, it's going to be a fascinating little tour and, uh, and really is going to set up what, what looks like a really exciting six months of Test cricket for England. That's right. And you mentioned Joffre. He, uh, an encouraging return uh, for him in uh, this week in the South African T20. Three wickets on uh, uh, on his uh, return after a very, very long absence. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just one of the most heartening sights we've had at the start of the year is just to see him, you know, charging in and enjoying his cricket, playing with a smile on his face. I think if he'd gone none for 40, I, most people still would have been pleased just to see him out on the park. But yeah, to get see him back in the wickets, you know, touching 90 miles an hour on the speed gun. It really is great reward for 18 really cruel months. And what actually, what was interesting, I, I didn't know this myself, but we, um, uh, I saw some of the reports. My, my colleague Simon Burnson did a report on his comeback. And um, there was actually a third elbow operation which took place last summer, which I don't think the public knew about previously. So, you know, stress fractures to the back, the elbow, um, you know, it's been a significant period of rehab for, for Jofra. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed we get to see the best of him in an England shirt and particularly, you know, maybe as a selfish, in a selfish way, as, a, as someone that prefers Test cricket above all else is to see him in that in that Ashes series and to renew that duel with Steve Smith. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, all right, Ali, I shall let you crack on. Um, Ali Martin, cricket writer for The Guardian. Always great to chat uh, and we'll catch up soon. Cracking. Cheers, Darren. 